it can be pretty intimidating to realize that as Christians, we are involved in a spiritual war. It might even be overwhelming to realize and learn that there's a devil, that Satan exists, and that he has schemes and strategies to do us harm. To learn that we wrestle, we struggle against rulers, against principalities, against world forces of darkness and against spiritual forces of wickedness. That can be quite alarming to learn that. And then when you add to the picture that the evil one, the devil, Satan, hurls and throws flaming missiles and fiery arrows at us as a believer. And when you put all of that together, it can become alarming, it can become overwhelming, it can become a a situation where we're scared and and that we just want to find a rock to crawl under. Because the picture of the war is dangerous, it's difficult, it's hard. Uh, It's not an easy picture that Paul presents to us. And so what hope is there for the believer, knowing that you have Satan and his demonic beings whom we cannot see with our eyes, but yet they are seeking to work havoc in our lives? What hope is there for us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm glad that when Paul talks about spiritual warfare, he does not say, Christians, there's no hope, there's no help. No, Paul, in this passage, when he talks about spiritual warfare, lets us know that there's hope in the midst of this battle that is going on. And that hope is because God provides you and God provides me as believers armor, equipment, so that we can stand successfully against Satan and resist him and shield off his flaming missiles. And that success, that armor, that equipment that God provides is none other than the armor of God. And that's why Paul says, put on, take up the full armor of God. And we sung about it. So we might not know that song, but that was a wonderful song that we sung. Talking about church, arise, Christian, arise, understand we are in a spiritual battle, we're in a spiritual war. Remove the blinders. Do not think that just because you became a Christian that life is going to be easy. Paul talks about the Christian life as a being a warrior, as being a soldier. And that ought to communicate something profoundly and deeply to us that the Christian life is a battle. And the wonderful thing, though, is that we don't have to be casualties of the war. We don't have to be defeated. We can win the war 
And in essence, the war has been won, but I'm talking about when it comes to our daily living, we can be successful. We can win the war that you and I are in. And the key is putting on the full armor of God. And so we've looked at the armor of God piece by piece. We've looked at the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel shoes, the shield of faith. And we've looked at the helmet of salvation. And now we come to the very last piece that makes up the full armor of God. And please understand, and I'll say it later, without the full armor of God, you will not be able to stand firm. And so Paul completes his list of the armor of God, the full armor of God, by speaking of the sword of the Spirit. That's the last piece of armor. And as we look at this phrase in the last part of verse 17, I want to look at it from the subject, armed with the sword of the Spirit. The Christian soldier, if he or she is going to be successful in the battle that is going on between God and Satan, and Satan's demonic being, if we're going to be successful, if we're going to stand firm, then it is mandatory that we be armed with the sword of the Spirit. So there's three observations that I want to make regarding the sword of the Spirit. And the first thing is that the sword of the Spirit is indispensable. This piece of equipment, even though it's last, we should not be deceived into thinking that it's not important, that it's not essential and crucial. The sword of the Spirit is absolutely necessary when it comes to waging spiritual warfare. And common sense makes that argument that the sword of the Spirit is indispensable. You don't need a Ph.D. to recognize that in Paul's time and in biblical time that a soldier needed the sword of the Spirit. It would be ridiculous. It would be foolish. It would be moronic for a soldier to go out on the battlefield and not have the sword of the Spirit. Common sense teaches us that, and we know that. But biblical sense, that is wisdom that comes from the word of God, also argues that the sword of the Spirit is indispensable. When we look at our verse, verse 17 of Ephesians 6, Paul began that verse by commanding the Ephesians, take the helmet of salvation. The command, the mandate was take, receive, accept. It's not the idea of take up and put on. But it's the idea of accept it, welcome it, embrace it. And Paul is commanding them, saying, look, the helmet of salvation, that glorious salvation by which we have been saved and are being saved and will be saved, that glorious salvation should flood our lives and our minds so that we understand it backwards and forward. And what it does is it provides protection for the most vital part of our body, the head. The mind. If you're weak 
in your understanding of salvation, if you don't know what it means to be saved and to be being saved and the idea that you will be saved, you're going to be a casualty of the war. And so Paul commands these Christians, take, accept it, embrace it, make it a part of your life. But not only take the helmet of salvation, he says at the end of verse 17, and take the sword of the Spirit. Take this helmet and take this sword. Both are being commanded. One command, but two things are to be taken. The helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. Both must be embraced. Both must be received. Both must be welcomed in this spiritual battle war that we are involved in. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand Paul, and I don't want you to misunderstand this Paul. When we talk about the sword of the Spirit being indispensable, every piece of armor is indispensable. That's why Paul talks about the whole armor of God. It's not you pick and choose which armor you want to have, but the whole armor of God. The belt of truth is indispensable. The the breastplate of righteousness that covers the vital organs of a person's life is essential and critical. Gospel shoes that give you steadiness and footing is imperative. The shield of faith in light of the fact that Satan is hurling and throwing his flaming missiles, his fiery arrows to destroy us and devastate us is essential. The helmet is essential. But it's interesting that when Paul talks about those first four pieces of armor, he says, basically, put it on where, because it will enable you to stand firm. I put on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel shoes, and the shield of faith in order that I might stand firm. It's the means by which I can stand. But when it comes to these last two pieces, the helmet and the sword, he doesn't say this is the means by which you stand. He's saying this is what you must do as you are standing. You're commanded to stand having embraced and having taken the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit is indispensable. And Paul highlights that. He makes it clear so that you and I would know that. All of the pieces are essential. But Paul goes out of his way to say that the helmet in the sword is absolutely indispensable. Christian soldier. That's who you are. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a Christian soldier. And so I say to you, Christian soldier, don't you dare think the sword of the Spirit is optional. 
Don't you dare come to some kind of understanding or thinking where you feel that you do not need the sword of the Spirit. It is a mandatory piece of armor. And if we are going to put up, put on and, and take up the full armor of God, we must, we absolutely must take the sword of the Spirit and welcome it in our lives. It's indispensable. The second observation that I want us to see is that the sword of the Spirit, this last piece of armor, originates with the Holy Spirit. And I'll say more about that in a moment, but let me just draw your attention to this idea of the sword. Paul, when he's speaking of the sword, is using the imagery of a sword that was used by a Roman soldier. The Roman soldier who walked watched over Paul in prison, but particularly the Roman soldier who went on the battlefield. As he went on the battlefield, he had his sword along with the other pieces of armor. Now, in the New Testament, there are two different words for sword. Uh, One word speaks of a large, huge sword. In fact, when the Apostle John had that blessed privilege of seeing the glorified, not just the risen, but the risen glorified Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ on the island of Patmos, when he saw the Lord Jesus Christ and he described it, he said one of the things that he saw was out of the mouth of the Lord was a sharp two-edged sword. So John's saying, look, this is what I saw. I saw a large, huge sword coming out of the mouth of the Lord, it was two-edged, meaning it cut on both sides. But that's not the sword that Paul is speaking of in our passage. Paul is not speaking of a large, huge sword. He's talking about a small, short sword. You could even compare it to a knife or a dagger. And it's come to my attention that some of you are in possession of a knife or a dagger. At least that's what I'm told. Somebody's shaking their head real hard, so uh, don't give yourself away. I ain't calling no names. But that was the nature of this sword. It wasn't some huge sword. It's not the kind of sword we see sometimes that takes two hands to hold and person just swing. No, this is a short Small sword. It was like a knife. It was like a dagger. It was about two inches wide and about two feet long. And it was used to cut. Cut and to pierce. And it was even used also to fend off blows from the enemy. And so it was a very common piece. But this sword was used not in battles that were distant. With our technology today, and Amara can speak more to this than I can, but with our technology today, the idea of face-to-face battle, in, uh, that's almost going out the, out the door. People are standing on their territory and shooting missiles to somebody else's territory, and they're far, far away, but 
in Paul's time, the Roman soldier had this dagger, this knife, this sword to use in close encounters. You didn't use this, you didn't have this if the enemy was far away. The, the picture is, is that the enemy is in your face. The enemy is close, the enemy is attacking you, and you're using the sword, not only defensively, but also offensively. Both ways the sword was used. Was used. And so what we're reminded of when it comes to spiritual warfare, it's personal. It's personal. I hope you realize that. That spiritual warfare is personal. It's mano a mano. It's one on one. It's close encounters with Satan and his demonic beings. And that's why earlier in Ephesians 6, verse 12, when Paul talked about our struggle, our, our wrestling, against Satan's demonic beings. He says, we struggle, we wrestle. What is a Roman soldier doing with all of this armory on wrestling? Paul wants us to know that the struggle is intense, that the struggle is close. You're playing into Satan's hand and his demonic being's hand if you think that Satan is far, far away and doesn't care about you. He doesn't need to worry about you if you think that's the case. But for those who are in the battle, for those who are standing on the battlefield of our Lord, they understand the need for the sword. The sword says that the battle is intense, the battle is personal, the battle is in close encounters. And we need to understand that. Now, the, the thing that I'm trying to emphasize, though, is not just this sword. But I want to remind us that the sword originates with the Holy Spirit. The sword is not the Holy Spirit. The sword is not something that the Holy Spirit, quote, owns or possesses. The sword is not even something that we would describe as spiritual. As if Paul says, the sword of the Spirit, small s. No, this is capital S. What he's emphasizing and what he's communicating to us who are involved in the spiritual battle is that this sword, that the source of it is none other than God, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. The sword comes from the Spirit of God. He offers it to you. He offers it to me. He provides it. He gives it. He says it comes from me and I want you to receive it and take it and welcome it as you are involved in your spiritual battle. This sword comes from the Spirit of God. To put it another way, the manufacturer, the manufacturer is the Spirit of God. He's the one that makes this sword, so to speak. It's not some man-made sword that you can go to the store and buy. It's not some man-made sword that you can go to even the Christian store, the bookstore, and buy it. 
No, this sword is offered and come from none other than God, the Holy Spirit himself. And so it lets us know and reminds us once again that in this battle, man-made equipment is insufficient. If you think you can get through the battle standing, relying upon your own resources, relying upon your own strength, you're missing out on the fact that it's the armor of who? Of God. It's the armor that comes from God, that God is the source of. It's the sword of who? Of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. It comes from him. And so our resources, our equipment are not human at all. If we rely upon human resources and our strength and our ability, we will be defeated without a question. And so we need to keep in mind that the sword of the Spirit means that this sword comes from the Spirit of God. He provides it. He gives it. He gives the strength and the enablement for us to use it effectively in our battle against Satan and his demonic forces. Well, if the sword is not the Holy Spirit, then what is or who is the sword? And that brings us to our last point. And the third observation that I want you to see is that the sword of the Spirit is God's word. The sword of the Spirit is God's word. If I put it in the words of Paul, what he has written, after he says the sword of the Spirit, he goes on to say, which is the word of God. Doesn't want us to be confused doesn't want us to be deceived into thinking what the sword of the Spirit is. He says the sword of the Spirit is not the Holy Spirit, but the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. That is what I am to receive and embrace and, and, and to accept when it comes to my battle with Satan and his demonic beings. Now, the phrase, the, the, the word of God, can refer to the whole Bible. Uh, there are places where it does refer to the whole Bible. He, Hebrews 4, verse 12, one of my favorite verses that talks about the word of God, where the, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, the word of God is what? Living and effective and cutting and penetrating and discerning. He tells us about the nature of the Bible. That the Bible is living, it's alive, it's effective, it works, it's cutting, it's penetrating, and it's discerning. And when the writer of Hebrews talks about that, he's talking about the whole Bible. And even in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, when Peter talks about the abiding and enduring word of God, He's talking about the living Bible, the word of God. It's abiding, it's adoring forever. But Paul 
is not talking about the whole Bible here. Now, you can take your Bible all you want, and you're in the throes of temptation and battle, and you can wave it, fling it, do anything you want. It ain't going to do you no good. It won't. Some of us treat our Bible like the Roman Catholic priest does the cross when he is trying to cast out or exercise a demon. You've seen the movies of exorcisms, and you got the priest with his nice collar, etc. He's got the huge cross, and he's waving the cross over the individual, hoping that the demon will come out of the person. Somehow some magic will take place, and that's what some of us think the Bible is. Let me just hold the Bible, or let me just cling to the Bible. Let me just fail, no, flail the Bible. And somehow the devil and his demonic beings are going to run and flee. No, the whole Bible is not what Paul is talking about here. And neither is he talking about the gospel. The song that we sung kind of alludes to the sword of the spirit being the gospel, the proclamation of the gospel, the good news. But that's not what Paul is talking about here. Paul is not saying the sword of the spirit is you and I preaching and proclaiming and uh, uh, making known the gospel of Jesus Christ, telling people that they're dead in trespasses and sin and that without Christ they'll spend eternity in the lake of fire. And that they need to repent of their sins and put their faith and trust in Christ in order to be saved. That is a marvelous message. And that is a message we are to proclaim. But Paul is not referring to the sword of the Spirit as the gospel. When Paul talks about the word of God, it's best understood. And please note this, because otherwise... You might as well not even listen to the rest of the sermon or any other sermon. That the sword of the Spirit refers to particular words that come forth out of the mouth of God and have been gathered together to make what we call our Bible. What I'm trying to emphasize, the sword of the Spirit is dealing with particular words and expressions that are found in the Bible. Some of us think that as long as I have a Bible on my coffee table, I'm all right. Or if I have a Bible on the, uh, on the rear view part of my car, I'm okay. No. What Paul is talking about when he says accept and embrace the word of God, he's talking about particular words and expressions that come forth out of the mouth of God. Hebrews 11, verse 3, is a very interesting verse. It talks about, of course, faith. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, the writer of Hebrews says these words, By faith, we understand that the words were prepared how by the word of God. The writer of Hebrews says, our trust in God, our faith in God, gives us understanding that the worlds, 
that have been made, that the worlds that have been created, the worlds that have been prepared, how do they come about? They came about by the word of God. By the word of God. That is, God spoke. And the world came into existence. Hopefully you know your Bible. Genesis 1, God said what? Let there be light. He spoke, let there be light. And what happened? And there was light. So God spoke. And the worlds came into existence. He didn't speak the whole Bible. But what did he do? He spoke particular Bible verses, so to speak. He spoke particular words that came out of his mouth. And so when we talk about the sword of the spirit, it's not the whole Bible. It's the particular words that come out of the word of God, out of the mouth of God. And that's why Jesus could say when he was tempted, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So what is the sword of the spirit? It's not the whole Bible. It's not the gospel. The sword of the spirit are the particular words and expressions and verses that come out of the mouth of God. And we are to use those expressions, those words, those verses in the various situations that we encounter. When Satan comes and tempts you, when the demonic beings seek to do you harm, you have to take the sword of the spirit, the expressions of God's word that came out of his mouth. You have to use that against him. The confirmation that the word of God refers to the expressions and words that come out of God's mouth is Jesus himself. Don't forget when he was tempted. Remember, he was in the wilderness, driven there by the Holy Spirit, and he's tempted by Satan 40 days and 40 nights. And Matthew and Luke record three particular temptations. And when our Lord was tempted each time, he responded how? He responded by introducing a portion of God's word by it is written. This is the son of God. This is the Lord Jesus Christ himself being tempted to sin. And Jesus responds not by waving the Old Testament. He responds not by preaching the gospel. He responds by saying each time it is written. And you can take a look at his words in Matthew 4 and they correspond to words that we find in different places in the book of Deuteronomy. The sword of the spirit was the expressions that come forth from the mouth of God. In the confirmation that the word of God is the sword of the spirit, is our Lord himself. And so when you're driving on the freeway and someone nicely cuts in front of you and you're tempted to let words come out of your mouth, rely upon 
and depend upon. Scripture. Use Ephesians 4.29 when tempted. When Paul says, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. When you're tempted to let those words fly, stop yourself, rely upon the Spirit of God, and let Ephesians 4.29 be your guide and submit to it. When you're tempted with a sexual sin, and you will be tempted in that area, but when you're tempted with a sexual sin, don't yield to the temptation, but use particular expressions and words that are found in the Word of God that tells you what to do with regards to sexual sin. Use Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, where Paul says, Do not let immorality or impurity or any greed come out and be named among you. Don't, don't even let there be... What is that I smell? Sexual sin? Paul says... There's not even to be a trace or a hint of sexual sin when it comes to the believer's life. We have to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, when you're tempted with sexual sin, just waving a Bible ain't going to do nothing. You're going to have to take the words, the expressions, the verses that are in this book that deals with sexual sin, and you're going to have to say to the devil and his demonic being, it is written that it's God's will that I be sanctified, that I be set apart from sexual sin. It is written. That's what Paul is saying. The sword. Yes, it's the Bible, but it's the Bible in particular. And some of us, we can't handle temptation. Even though Jesus says, Paul says that every temptation that comes into our life, we can handle. But some of us are going to fail. Why? Because we don't know how to use the sword of the Spirit. We don't know how to wield the Word of God. And let me just remind you of this. The sword of the Spirit is only effective if you put on the full armor of God. If you don't have on truth and righteousness and peace and faith and salvation, sword of the Spirit ain't going to help you. It's only effective in the life of an individual who's living a life of integrity who's practicing righteousness, who's made prepared and sturdy because they understand of the peace associated with the gospel. They have this shield of faith. They're trusting in God. And they have salvation as his or her helmet. And then the sword of the Spirit becomes effective. So the Christian soldier's sword is the right use of particular words that have come forth from the mouth of God. I congratulate our young people when they memorize verses. But if you think your success in the Christian life is going to come from the fact that you memorized verses when you attended Awana or Sunday school, and you haven't memorized any verses since then, 
you're in trouble. And even if you are memorizing verses, if you're not memorizing verses that address the, the issues that you're struggling with as a Christian, and so as we said when we talked about the doctrine of sin and killing sin, that if I'm going to kill sexual sin, there's some key passages I got to know. There's some key passages that I have to memorize and meditate and store up in my heart. If I'm going to make sure that I'm not guilty of sins of speech, I don't go memorize Genesis 1 that tells me about creation. I go memorize verses that deal with sins of speech and how I should speak properly and correctly and biblically. We have to use the sword of the Spirit to address the areas in which we're being tempted on a regular basis. So the reality of spiritual warfare can be intimidating. It can be overwhelming. It can be alarming. And it can even cause you to be scared and knock your knees, so to speak. But the good news is that when it comes to spiritual warfare, there is hope. You and I can stand firm. We can stand. We don't have to stagger. We can stand. We don't have to fall. We can stand. How? By putting on the full armor of God. Every piece of God's armor. And that includes taking the sword of the Spirit. So to be armed with the sword of the Spirit, which is the title for this sermon, armed with the sword of the Spirit, to be armed with the sword of the Spirit means you're armed with the Word of God. That you, the Word of God is becoming a part of your life so that you can use particular verses and passages when you're tempted to sin. So may I say to you, arm yourself with God's word by hearing it, by hearing it. Arm yourself with God's word by reading it. The Bible should not be a dusty book. Your iPad or your iPhone should not have an electrical shock when you open up your Bible app. Your Bible app should not be in the clouds because you haven't used it. Read the word of God in general. Arm yourself with God's word by studying it. I, I can't emphasize that enough, that we need to be students of the word. We need to either go to Sunday school or Wednesday night Bible study or LABTS, but someplace where I'm systematically studying the Word of God. We do it in all other endeavors. And we definitely need to do it when it comes to this spiritual battle that we are in. Arm yourself. Look at your life. Look at your schedule. When do I study the word of God? 
Maybe you do it on your own. I don't know if that's the wisest thing, but sometimes you might be capable of doing that. But you need to study the Word of God. Arm yourself with God's Word by memorizing it. Don't send your precious children and grandchildren to VBS and Children's Church and Awana and you have them memorizing the Word, but it's no memorization of the Word in your life. That doesn't make any sense. We need to memorize the word so that we can say it is written and memorize verses that address areas that you're struggling with. We arm ourselves with God's word. Arm yourself with God's word by meditating on it, by storing it up in your heart like the psalmist did. Taking it piece by piece and phrase by phrase and expression by expression. Not trying to think on three chapters at one time. Just trying to think about one verse. One part of that verse. Biblical meditation. As the psalmist says, he did it. Why? That he might not sin against God. If the word is not stored up in your heart, then when you're tempted, it's too late to flick through the Bible and try to find a verse. It needs to be in your heart. And you need to be aware of the strategies, the schemes of the devil. You know how he's coming at you in your walk with God. You know that he's using the same access point. Get this Christian watching TV so that his his or her eyes might see something that allures him or her to sin. Get this Christian not focusing on Jesus Christ as all in all, but get that Christian to focus on a relationship. And when you focus on a relationship, and it's not the relationship between you and God, between you and Christ, Satan can get a foothold in you because you made that relationship your God and not the Lord Jesus Christ. And so ask God to search your heart, search your minds. So you can find out those areas that you're prone to yield to temptation. And if you don't know Bible verses, ask somebody else, give me some Bible verses to help me when I'm struggling with sexual sin. Give me some Bible verses when I'm struggling with pride. Give me some Bible verses when when I want to use bad language on the freeway. And guess what? There are Bible verses that address that. And make sure you're growing by the word. Not just hearing it and studying it and reading it and meditating on it and memorizing, but growing by it. That is, you're submitting your life to what thus saith the Lord. Child of God. That's if you are a child of God, but child of God. Take up the sword of the spirit, which is the particular words that come out of the mouth of God and wield your sword to the glory of God as you stand on the battlefield 
of your Lord. Stand, having taken all of these pieces of armor, but stand receiving and accepting the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful that in the midst of spiritual war and battle, that you provide hope, that we don't have to be depressed, that we don't have to, be, have to despair, but you tell us how we can stand firm. And the primary way that we can stand firm is by putting on the full armor of God. And Father, I pray that you might move upon each and every heart of the believer to put on the full armor of God. And particularly, Father, may we accept, may we welcome, may we embrace the sword of the Spirit, which is made up of the very words that come out of your mouth that we are to live by. Help us to learn your word and help us to learn how to use the sword of the Spirit, both offensively and defensively, so that we can be the people of God that you want us to be. And Lord, I pray for those who are clueless when it comes to spiritual warfare, who are unaware of Satan, unaware of his demonic forces and how he seeks to devastate and destroy the Christian. I pray that you would open their eyes to see that you want them to be strong in the Lord, that you want them to put on the full armor of God, and that you want them to take up each piece of armor so that they can stand firm on the battlefield of our Lord. Have mercy on us, Lord. Help us not to fall into the traps and guiles of the, of de, of the devil, but help us to know what thus saith you in your word about spiritual warfare. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.